0: Thank you, mate. Well, why is it that all the best arguments that you have with your family happen in the car on the way to church? (laughs) Thankfully, I live next door, so my commute is extremely long. I never argue. No, that's not true. Uh, It always happens at the wrong possible time, doesn't it? Especially if you've got kids in the back of the car, Uh, you're driving up front and trying to Tell them to stop doing whatever it is that they're doing in the back seat there. Sometimes it's them poking each other and saying to one another, what did you do that for? Have you heard that in your household? Used to hear that in my household all the time. Now it doesn't happen because they're just on YouTube all the time. Uh, But uh, what do you do that for? What did you do that for? Maybe it's because they said something that was wrong. Maybe it was because they poked them. Maybe it was because they annoyed them. Maybe it was because like a friend of mine did in their household growing up, they had screwdriver fights and threw them at each other. (laughs) What are you doing that for? (laughs) No one got hurt. It's okay. As we look at the final section in the book of 2 Corinthians today, we ask ourselves the question, what did you do that for? Or at least Paul answers that question. We get to the very end of this long letter, 13 chapters long, that's been full of what Paul would describe as foolish language. It's got some harsh parts to it. It's got some rebuke in it. It's got some sarcastic tone to it. And for those reading it, it was probably painful. And they might have been asking, what did you do that for? And here in this passage today, Paul outlines for us and for the Corinthians why he wrote the way he did. And what we'll find is that it was all about them and all about the truth so that they might know God and stick with him. And it's my prayer this morning that we might find the same thing, that as we look at God's word, we might see that these words, as hard as they've been at times, might be for our benefit, for God's glory, that we might continue to walk with him. A reminder this morning, we've got some question time after the sermon. So Q&A is there on uh, slido.com and the hashtag is HBSP. I'm going to pray. And please have this part of the Bible open in front of you. We're going to look at it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've spoken to us clearly. We thank you for this letter of 2 Corinthians. And we ask, please, that this morning you'd help me to speak it clearly and that we we all Uh, might uh, uh, go from here as people transformed by your word. Uh, Please, Heavenly Father, not only inform us, but transform us by your spirit. We ask this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what did you do that for? Paul says, right from the very beginning, I've done this for you. In chapter 12 and verse 14, Paul says, I'm about to come to you for the third time. You might remember the trajectory of how things have taken place so far in the Corinthian experience. On the first occasion, Paul had come and brought the gospel to the city of Corinth for the very first time. People had become Christians from Jewish and and, uh, Greek background, and he'd brought the church into existence in that place. The second visit was described as a painful visit, a visit where Paul had to correct lots of things that were in the Corinthian church, and perhaps we could say it didn't go that well. And he's worried that the third visit might go in exactly the same direction. In fact, he's not sure what the outcome will be. That in some way is the purpose of the letter of 2 Corinthians. He wishes for this letter to go before him and to reach them before he gets there. We find out later on in the passage uh, of his fears about this. Come with me to chapter 12 and verse 20. He says, for I fear that perhaps when I come, I may not find you uh, find you not as I wish, and that, uh, I may, uh, that you may find me not as you wish, that there perhaps may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. He's worried. Worried about what it's going to be like when he gets there. Will it be a, a tough situation? He knows that the Corinthian church are, are already posited against him. In fact, earlier in the passage in verse 16, he says that the Corinthians have called him crafty. That he's been trying to get one up on them, trying to get over them. And yet he says, it's been nothing like that at all. I have not taken any money from you, Corinthians. I am like a a, a spiritual father giving to my children all the way along. Indeed, my offsiders are the same. He says that in verse 18. When Titus came to you and when others came to you, they acted the same way as I have amongst you. And if you think that I have been defending myself through this letter, understand this, he says. It's been for you. Look at chapter 12 and verse 19. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and all for your upbuilding, beloved. It was for the upbuilding of the people in Corinth. These words that Paul had spoken, that were foolish and sarcastic and at times harsh and painful, these words were for the Corinthian church and for their upbuilding. And yes, Paul defended himself. And his apostleship. But if he was discredited, so too would be the message about Jesus, the truth of the gospel. And so he says in verse 19, this was all for your upbuilding. Over in chapter 13, he expands on this a little further. Look at chapter 13, verse 8. He says, we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. This is why I have written for your upbuilding, for the truth, chapter 13, verse 9, for we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. We want you to turn around and come and follow Jesus once again, he says to the Corinthians. That is why we have written, and then again in chapter 13, verse 10, for this reason I write these things while I am away from you, so that when I come I may not have to be severe in the use of the authority the Lord has given me for building up. And not tearing down. This is why Paul had written. What did you do that for? Well, I wrote for your upbuilding from the truth and for your restoration so that you may be built up in Christ. That's the goal of Paul's letter. The goal is to build the Christians in the faith. And perhaps the best example of this is, is the building that takes place with some of those buildings in the city with large, large old facades on them that are trying to be put back together to their original glory. For a time, they appear to be worse when their, their buildings are gutted and taken apart, but the goal is that they might be built up into the glory that they should have as a building. As you know, I have very little ability practically at all. I'm terrible at all of those sorts of things. Uh, And sometimes, occasionally, I'll get brave and I'll take something apart to try and fix it again. And when I take something apart, I panic. I don't know if you're the same. I panic when all of the bits and pieces are now in front of me. I think, I don't know what I'm doing now. I'm terrified. And at that point, I just tend to leave it and call someone that knows what they're doing. I panic about it. Because when you take something apart, it appears as though the pieces are everywhere and it's never going to get back together again. But the point of taking it apart is to fix it and put it back to together again. And when Paul speaks in a foolish, sarcastic, harsh, painful way in this letter here, as God's apostle, he is not taking, tearing apart, as he says in verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 10. He is not speaking to tear down. He is speaking in order to take the pieces apart and rebuild this church back to the glory that it ought to be. He's been building all along and building with love. See, it's this love that we are to share one for another that Paul has for the Corinthians that prioritizes growth in the life of others. And that growth will come through challenging and encouraging and giving and confronting and all of the ways that Paul has spoken throughout this letter. But the goal, the goal is to be building with love. What did you do that for? The Corinthians might have said, and Paul said, I've been trying to build you in your faith all along with love. And you might not see it at first, but you'll know that over time, I was like a spiritual father giving to my children for those of you that have younger children particularly they may not quite understand why you've made the decisions you have in your household isn't that true they may see them as harsh or difficult they may see them as going to bed early when they don't deserve it or whatever the case may be but just as the parents righteously seek to do good for their children so Paul seeks to do good In the city of Corinth and for the people there. Well, part of the problem all the way through this letter has been that the Corinthians did not believe that Paul was actually speaking for Christ. The Corinthians sought proof that Christ was really in Paul. He doesn't appear to be that follower of Christ like the other super apostles were, with all their amazing miracles and examples that they could show on their resumes. But Paul writes to say in these final words Jesus actually is working powerfully, and he has been working powerfully through me and in you in the ways that he always has. Come with me to chapter 13, verse 3. Chapter f- 13. Verse three, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but powerful among you, for he was crucified in weakness, but lives in the power of God, for we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God paul is is saying to the Corinthians here. Jesus has been at work amongst you and he will continue to be at work amongst you. In fact, Jesus is the model of life. He's the model of ministries, the model of the way we should set up our life. Paul says in verse four, he was crucified in weakness, broken and battered and beaten, naked, hanging on a cross, a horrible sight to look at and finally dead and in a tomb. And yet through the resurrection of Christ, he lives in the power of God. Resurrected and eternal. And he gives for us in that death and resurrection, not only salvation, not only eternal and new life forever. But he gives us a model to to live by of power in weakness. This has been the encouragement of this letter for us today. Because our ministry, our life should be set on the same foundations where we speak weak words of a crucified saviour to a world that does not understand these truths. And yet when we speak them in a weak and faltering way, then we are engaged by the power of God to bring about change in one another's lives. It's important, isn't it? To know how God does his growth. Early on in uh, uh, moving out of home, I recognised that the lawn in our place needed some work. And I went and got one of those weed and feed things that you get from Bunnings these days and sprayed it all over the lawn. But what you fail to realise is when you don't read the instructions properly and it's too strong on the lawn, the lawn goes brown really quickly. You poison the thing. I'm showing you all of my weaknesses today. If you don't use the right growth method, the grass won't grow. If you don't use the right growth method in the kingdom of God, then people won't grow. Thankfully, God's growth method is is not at all complicated. It's weak people speaking weak words of a weak saviour, crucified, but living in the power of God through his resurrection. As we speak these words into one another's lives, into the lives of people in the world around us, God's power is ignited through those words. And the building, the building of people happens. The growing of people happens through power in weakness. If you take nothing more from this series, understand this. If you feel weak, if you feel like you can't serve God, you're in a perfect position to do exactly that. Because none of us are strong. We might think we are. But none of us are working with the power of God until we understand our weakness. Jesus was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God and gives us an example to live by that in our weakness, his power might be seen. And so right at the end of this letter, Paul wants to encourage us See the gospel as it really is power through weakness and understand that you fit on the second part of that equation in the weakness category and that God is the one who brings his power to bear in our lives through our weakness. And so Paul says at the very end of this letter, examine yourselves to the Corinthians. Look at verse five, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith test yourselves or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test he says examine yourselves or test yourselves or prove to yourselves to see whether you are in the faith now the temptation when we look at a passage like this is we turn so inward on ourselves we 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 analyze ourselves And the temptation in self analysis is to look at all of our foibles, all of our sins, all of our brokenness, all of the bits of our life that are completely messed up. And then we say to ourselves, God could not possibly love someone like me. This is not what Paul is asking in verse five. See, Jesus died for those people. Jesus died for sinners. He died for broken and messed up people like you and me. That's the good news. So what does Paul mean when he says, examine yourselves? Well, the point is in the second half of verse 5. In the second half of verse 5, he is saying to the Corinthians, Jesus Christ has been at work in you. Do you see it there? Do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? He says to the Corinthians, Jesus has been working in you. If only you'll see it. If only you'll see it. See, the problem for the Corinthians is they were looking for growth and God's power in all the wrong places. They were looking for the supernatural and the unbelievable and the wacky and wild things that might happen in this world. But Paul says, you're looking in the wrong places. Remember, Jesus was crucified in weakness, but lives in the power of God. This is where God's power is to be seen. It's like it's like for you or me you decide to build a new home you're building your home in Wollongong and you've got the address for it and you go to check out the new home but rather than drive to Wollongong you drive straight past to a plot of land in Kiama somewhere and you say where's my house no one's building my house where is it it's supposed to be here now it's a silly example but when you look in the wrong spot you won't find what you're looking for The Corinthians are looking in the wrong spot for what God is doing in this world. And when they are to examine themselves, what Paul is saying is to look in the right places for what God is doing in this world. Don't look past what God is actually doing. What God is doing in this world appears to be unremarkable. It's slow oftentimes. It's piece by piece and bit by bit. But as we examine ourselves, what we're doing is looking for the ways in which God has been at work in our lives, for the ways in which we have grown by hearing the word of God and putting it into practice day by day and week by week and month by month and year by year. And so as you examine yourself, do not not turn into self-analysis, looking for all the reasons why God can't love you. We know they're all there. And yet God's love for you is sure in the person of Jesus Christ. And so examine yourselves and see how God has brought you to himself. How God is holding you to himself through all the trials and tribulations of life. See how God is growing you bit by bit as you read his word and you take it seriously. Look in the right places for what God is doing among you. It is a great privilege of mine to sit with people from day to day and ask them how they're going. Ask them how they're going in their faith, to be able to look them in the eye. How are you going? And for them to be able to speak about the things that they've understood of God, the ways in which their life has changed because of being impacted by God's word. These are the encouragements we're all to see in each other's lives. And to point out so that we might know that Christ has been at work in our lives. Because we've been building with the right tools of God's word and power in weakness. Well then finally, Paul signs off in words that are very famous, especially if you've grown up in an Anglican church. These words are very famous at the end. He signs off in verses 11 to 14 with these final words to the Corinthians after a difficult letter a foolish letter, a sarcastic, painful, and harsh letter. He turns to say two things, one to the Corinthians themselves and one uh, that they should focus on in God himself. Let's look at the first one, verses 11 to 13. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. Now, we're going to put this into practice this morning. We're going to greet each other with a holy kiss. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to do that right No, no, it's all right. It's all right. That would be so much fun. I'd love to do that. I'll be standing at the door later as you come out. So, no, no, it's all right, it's all right too. In this COVID world, you can't really say that, can you? It's scary now, actually. I don't want to get your lips anywhere near me, Carl. no, thank you. But I hope you can hear in these verses 11 to 13... Uh, that there is a, a strong sense of community in these verses. Paul is saying to the Corinthians in his final words, as much as it depends on you, do not get in the way of one another following the Lord Jesus. That's how you would summarize these verses. Don't get in the way. Rejoice. As we know in the Corinthian church, there was fighting, aim for restoration. Comfort one another. As we heard in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, this idea of comfort is to strengthen and upbuild one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. You can hear these community attributes coming out. Work together so that we might not get in the road of each other following the Lord Jesus. I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, as much as I encourage myself to focus as much as it depends upon you to this same sort of unity and family and warmth amongst us so that we might not get in the road of each other growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news, when we do find ourselves in these positions of aiming for restoration and peace, that we find ourselves having to be weak and in that weakness we find God to be strong delivering us the unity and family and warmth that these verses speak about so that we might be ready to grow in Christ. And so finally, in verse 14, we turn to the engine room of where growth comes from. And it all comes from God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. If you're like me, you're struggling not to say those words in the slightly different form that the Anglican prayer book tells us to do. But this is the engine room of building as we look into it more deeply. The grace of the Lord Jesus as he gives us his free gift of salvation. Paul says, focus on this grace of Jesus. He has gifted you salvation. Walk in him. But it's not only this, it's the generous love of the Father who would send his Son in order to die for us, to bring us to the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring us to eternal life and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit who will be with us for the task of walking in weakness in this world so that we might seek the power of God. See, this last little section is Paul answering the question, what did you do that for? And he says, I've been trying all along to build you. And the the way you are built is through weakness and God's power. And in verse 14, we see the power of God, the engine room from which growth and change comes about in the Christian life. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Well, for us, as we finish this great letter together, what do we take away? Well, if nothing else, we take away this, that weakness, humility, laying low is not something that this world appreciates, but it is at the heart of what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. When we come into contact with the cross of Christ, we cannot help but be humbled and brought low. And like the Corinthians, at times we want to raise ourselves up and exalt ourselves, but as we come into contact, the cross says, no, humble yourselves, become weak, and in so doing, you will see the power of God at work. So brothers and sisters, look in the right places for God's work amongst you. It is great to see what God is doing amongst all of us and stick to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit as the engine room of that growth. I'm going to pause for a moment and we're going to ask and answer some questions. You might like to ask maybe from anywhere in the book if you'd like to, that's fine. Uh, I'm going to pause for a couple of minutes for you to ask them. Slido.com, hashtag HBSP, and we'll be back soon. All right, let's uh, let's have a look. Thank you. There's just the one question there today. Thanks for asking it. If you've still got one coming, uh, throw it in there. It'll uh, pop up while I'm answering this one. Was Paul just a cantankerous person personality? It's a great word. Or uh, or today should there be more rebuking of brothers and sisters who are heading off on the wrong track? Uh, two parts to that question, I suppose was he a cantankerous personality? Lots of people think that he was. That's the reputation that he's gained over the years, that Paul was a cantankerous personality. We're doing that by reading his letters and working working out that by reading his letters. I think it's a dangerous principle to set. I hope that no one reads my text messages and works out what type of person I am. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, although you get a lot of my text messages anyway. Um, that's okay. i I don't think we've got enough information to work that out as to what his personality was like. In fact, in chapter 10, verse 10 of this very letter, it would seem as though the opposite were true. So in chapter 10, verse 10, putting the words in the Corinthians mouth, he says, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. So it actually seems like when he's with them, he's maybe in the background a little bit, maybe a little bit shy, perhaps a little bit uh, hard to get to know, that sort of thing. That that seems to be the case, at least in the Corinthians experience. So what was his personality like? Put simply, we don't know. We don't know. However, when he writes his letters, uh, a lot of them are weighty, as this says. Now, why would he be like that? Well, I think when you're um, talking about important matters, then... Uh, your uh, language can often become more curt, can't it? Uh, For for one reason or another, I've been in and around hospitals this week, not for myself, but for other people. And I've noticed one thing that when there's uh, interest, uh, strong things happening in the hospital, important uh, things that need to be done, uh, the doctors speak with uh, directness, straightforwardness, and not necessarily all the bedside manner you'd be asking for. Now, we all want that, actually, because it's life and death stuff sometimes in the hospitals like that, isn't it? That's what we—that's actually what you want. You don't want them to sort of fluff around the edges with the the discussion that they're taking. You want them to be direct, straightforward, and clear. Uh, and that's, I think, what Paul is talking about here. Because Paul is talking about life and death issues, the gospel of Christ, he's going to be direct and straightforward. Uh, and so there's a lesson in that for us. The lesson is that perhaps. Uh, we're not always as understanding of what the gospel is about. We don't see it in the same way. We see it as a, maybe a, a, a very, very important part of our life, but we don't look down the street and think, that person is is going to hell if I don't tell them about Jesus. That would be very, very important, like the person in the hospital. It's a direct thing that's going on there. So I think, I think for me... Uh, there is, if people are going off on the wrong, tra- wrong track, yes, there needs to be more of a rebuke to that. Still, it needs to be done out of a position of love, out of a place of love, whatever that language might be. And as we've seen in the letter of 2 Corinthians, sometimes the language can be different uh, to, in order to bring that person back. Uh, but we're to speak the truth to people in love in order to help them down that track as well. So that's a great question. Um, I think there's a lot we can learn from Paul's manner and method about his directness and the importance of the gospel of Christ in that as well. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this letter of 2 Corinthians. It's been a great encouragement to us uh, to see that in our weakness uh, your powerful strength is able to be seen and able to come through. And we pray, please, that you would help us to continue to recognise how you are working in our lives, that you would encourage us to encourage others about how we see your work in their lives uh, so that we, as we examine ourselves, might recognise your work amongst us. That though we feel weak and though we feel like uh, we're not worthy in many, uh, in many occasions and on many, uh, at many times, we ask that you would remind us that it is through our weakness in the midst of our sin that the Lord Jesus came to save us and that in the midst of our weakness you will grow us in Christ and in the midst of our weakness you will use us to bring that powerful message to a world that so needs to know it. And we ask please Heavenly Father that you would encourage us with this truth that even us, uh, us weak people in this room might be used by you and have been used by you. Please remind us of this through this letter we ask in Jesus' name. Oh, Amen. We're going to just sing again. Please stand as we sing.